Good morning again. For those of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm Pat. I'm one of the uh, pastor's elders here at Faith Community Bible Church. And um, uh, again, we're, we're going to be in uh, the text that Kim just read to us. It's on page 901 if you, uh, in, in those red pew Bibles. Um, but uh, just to put us in a little bit of, of context here. Sorry, I move around. And I don't want to knock things over. Um, but to put a, a little context uh, in this, uh, this conversation with, uh, with Jesus and his disciples is at the end of three years of his ministry. Jesus is about 30 years old at this point, uh, or 30, 33. Um, and, and, uh, but he, after growing up as, 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 you know, first as a baby, like all of us, and then as, as a, a child, a young adult, then he, he uh, um, comes into his public ministry uh, that's, that starts with, uh, with, with him basically starting to proclaim the, the gospel for, um, uh, and, and going out and, and teach, uh, t- teaching in public. And, and uh, so just, if we think about what three years uh, uh, might be like, you know, in, in our context, for a young person who was waiting to learn to drive, perhaps, or, or, or to graduate, or, or to, um, uh, to get old enough to, to be part of youth group, right, Hudson? Uh, you know, three years can seem like a really long time to, to wait for, for things like that. Um, for a person who is struggling with chronic illness or who's caring for a loved one who, who is, um, or maybe someone who's forced out of their home in time of war uh, or who's waiting for a family, three years can seem like a, a very long time. Um, for, for, for someone who is unsure if he or she is, uh, is saved enough for retirement, three years might seem like a very short time. If you had a terminal diagnosis, three years might seem uh, very short. Three years ago, uh, Pastor Josh was uh, uh, preparing to teach a sermon on the third chapter of Jonah. We were just about to start another Sunday school series. Uh, many of us, uh, including my family, had uh, kids who were away at college or other pursuits. We'd actually, uh, as a church, had just sent uh, care packages to 27 such young people uh, in eight different states. Uh, Jason Ludwig was, uh, was preparing to teach uh, a, uh, a message at youth group uh, that night, uh, night on 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we had actually just sent out an email to the church saying that, hey, we're going to have a, uh, a youth Sunday next month in which the youth would do all, everything, everything from, from uh, the, uh, the sound booth to leading the music to greeting people at the door to even preaching in the pulpit. And uh, Christian Davis was going to be, uh, then uh, Christian was, was a high school student, not a, uh, not, not a husband uh, um, as he is now. And uh, he was preparing to teach a, uh, a sermon uh, that was titled, Valuing What God Values. The Owens family was planning their sabbatical. And uh, in that, they were planning to go visit our missionaries in Italy, George and Kim Aguirre. And uh, that sabbatical didn't happen, got postponed. And that visit by them didn't happen. Actually, Martha and I got to to take that burden on our shoulders. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we thank you for that. that. But of course, you know why um, all all that changed. Because three years ago today, we were still talking about COVID-19 as a virus that existed in China. Matter of fact, we had just evacuated, emergency evacuated our missionaries uh, to China, brought them back home. Uh, we were preparing uh, to welcome Dave and Irene Lewis, who we just prayed for, uh, to, uh, 
to, to Loudon to help minister uh, to these missionaries and help teach us how to minister uh, to them. We'd actually just sent, we'd made a collection, we had sent a bunch of uh, masks to China uh, to missionaries who had remained over there from other churches uh, because those masks were in short supply uh, over there. Three years ago, we did not recognize the magnitude of change that was about to happen. We didn't realize that Christian sermon would actually be the last sermon preached from this pulpit um, in, before the shutdown that would happen the very next day on March 16th. A lot has happened in those three years. And as we think of what Jesus is, uh, this conversation Jesus is having with his disciples in our text uh, today, a lot had happened in the three years before the 14th chapter of John. Jesus had begun his public ministry. He had been baptized. He had been tempted in the wilderness. He had preached and he had taught in synagogues and in streets and plateaus and hilltops from a boat uh, in, in seaside cities and even uh, preached and taught by a, a well in Samaria. He had performed many signs and wonders. Disciples had begun to follow him, and many had turned away. The religious leaders had been challenged and confounded and even enraged. Uh, the blind had received their sight. The lame walked. Lepers were healed. The deaf heard. The dead were raised up, and the poor had the good news preached to them. So much had happened in those three years, yet just uh, a couple chapters earlier in chapter 12, uh, we, we read uh, that though he had performed many signs and wonders before them, they still did not believe him. Some could not believe because of the blindness of their eyes or the hardness of their hearts, and some, we, we read, believed in him to a point, but they wouldn't even confess him. They feared because they love the glory, John writes. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And then John, at the, at the end of uh, chapter 12, uh, John records Jesus making one last public plea. He says, whoever believes in me, believes in him who sent me. And, and, and not, not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. And then his last words that John records that he says in public uh, before, before our text today say, I know that this commandment, God's commandment, is eternal life. Whatever I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So imagine yourself now uh, not in these crowds, but in this very private room, uh, intimate setting that Josh described a few weeks ago reclining at the table with Jesus and his fellow disciples, and your fellow disciples. It, it's been a pretty strange evening. When you entered, your rabbi, your teacher, your leader stood up from the table, took off his outer garments, put on an apron, the, the sign of a servant, poured out water, and washed your feet, and then put his garment back on and resumed his place at the table. And then, as he often did, he used this as a teaching illustration, and this time he was illustrating how you as leaders were to serve others, to be servants to others. And then for some reason, Jesus sent Judas out on an errand, and it was night. And then Jesus turned to those who remain and said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. He's glorified, we read in the first part of chapter 13, 
He's glorified, Jesus says, by Jesus' obedience in going to a place that the disciples cannot yet go. To the cross, we'll find out. He's glorified by his disciples if they will love one another as he has loved them. And, he's, and Jesus will be glorified fully when he's able to bring his disciples to this place that he is going to prepare for them. And so for these next few chapters over these next weeks, uh, we're, we're going to see how Jesus will continue to tell of how God will be glorified, not just through him, but through them, and eventually through us. This, he ends his teaching of his disciples with this beautiful prayer we're going to hear in a, in a while, in, a few, in, a, in several weeks from now, in chapter 17, that starts with this word, that, that reiterates the purpose of this. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. See, so much has happened in these three years before this moment, but it's what will happen in the next three days that will completely change the world. So in our text, we see, uh, again, we're on page 901. It's uh, John chapter 14, verses 4 through 14. And we see a structure that develops. Uh, in the, the first two parts of this three-part structure, Jesus makes a statement uh, to which the disciples respond in a way that demonstrates their confusion. So in verses 4 and 5, we, we read, And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas says, We don't know the way. How can we know the way? And then verses 7 8, From now on you do know, he's saying, You do know the Father and have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And in each instance, Jesus will then address that confusion, explaining that they know the way because he is the way. And they know and have seen the Father because he and the Father are one. And then in the third section, Jesus is going to go deeper, calling his disciples to believe in his unity with the Father, to believe in the works that he has done, and then to live the life that he has, uh, that he has lived, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And all of this seems to hinge, that this text seems to center on Jesus' first response to Thomas in verse 6, where he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so our sermon in the nutshell today is that Jesus is the way to follow, the truth to believe, and the life to live, that God may be glorified. In verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples that they know the way to where he is going, but from Thomas's response, we can see that he does not know what he knows. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? I, I really wish I knew the tone of Jesus' next words. I've been playing with this over the, over, over the past years. You know, did he respond in sort of a patient teaching manner, saying, I am the way? Was, it, was his tone stronger? In fact, I am the way. Or was he, was he even more emphatic, pleading with his disciples to understand what he had been telling them for three years? I, I think, like, look, guys, I'm only going to be with you for a few more hours, and then some things are going to happen that are going to really rock your world. You want to know the way? I am the way. I don't know how he said these words. But whatever he said, the meaning of these words is clear. Jesus is the way. 
and no one comes to the Father except through him. And these are hard words to hear in our day. Because in our world, we hear that it really doesn't matter which way you go, as long as it's the way that's right for you. And of course, if that's really true, right, then, then the way of Mr. Trump and the way of President Biden are equally valid ways. Uh, the, the way of uh, Vladimir Putin and Volodymyr Zelensky, equally valid ways to go. Mother Teresa, Charles Manson, equally valid. And that seems ridiculous because it absolutely is ridiculous. But it's not a new idea. There's a book in the Old Testament called Judges, and twice in the book of Judges, we, we read, it was written about a thousand years before, before Jesus was, was teaching, twice in the book we read, everyone did what was right in his own way, or in his own eyes, and it was not a good thing that happened when they did that. In the book of Proverbs, which was written maybe a hundred or so years after uh, the book of Judges, we read, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in its, its end is the way of death. And there's the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. And we can go back much, much further to see the folly of this idea. See, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said it was good. And he created everything in it, and he said it was good. And he created uh, humankind to live in there, to care for his creation, and to live with him, to follow him, to, to be with him, but believe, trust in him. And he said it was very good. And then those first human beings decided that they would do instead what was right in their own eyes. And as the proverb states, right, the way that seemed right to them led only to death. And now Jesus says to his disciples, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's not the first time he has said things like this. In Matthew 10, he said it was so important, right? If anyone would come after him, that, that, that uh, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me, Jesus says, is not worthy of me. And, and while the disciples are obviously confused now as they have been for the past three years at times, this will eventually sink in. It will sink in to the point that after Jesus dies, rises again, ascends into heaven, and, and Peter and, and John are going to be brought in to, the, to the, uh, the high priest, to the religious leaders, and, the, and they're going to be persecuted for what they are proclaiming to be true. Peter's going to stand up and say, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Paul, who will come to follow Jesus later, will write to the, the church of the Ephesians that it was only through Jesus that we have access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus is the way, the only way. Follow him and come to the Father. There is no other way there. But who is the Father? Right? Philip asks uh, here in verse 8, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. This time Jesus' response betrays his tone a, a, a little bit uh, better. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father 
and the Father is in me. See, Philip wanted to see so that he could believe. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to believe so that you can see. Just as Jesus is the way to follow, he is also the truth to believe. But later we'll hear that Pilate says to Jesus, but what is truth? So to answer this, please bear with me as we go on a, on a rabbit trail. Some of you may know that I love, I'm not good at languages, but I love languages. I, re, I really do. And, and, uh, and Josh, in his care for me, uh, as he was planning this sermon series, even gave me a, 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 a sermon title in a different language, in Latin. Right? The, the, via veritas vita. It means the way, the truth, and, and, the, and the life. Um, of course, Jesus uh, uh, probably wasn't speaking in, in Latin, as, as poetic as that might be. Uh, the Gospel of John is, is actually written not in Latin, uh, but in Greek, and in part because that was a language that would be able to spread the Gospel later on for, for all, pretty much all the known wor- world, not just to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but, but into Asia and Africa and Europe. And while Jesus uh, uh, may have spoken both Latin and Greek, he was probably speaking yet another language, uh, or w- one of two, either Hebrew or, or Aramaic, because he's, he's with his intimate disciples, uh, speaking with fellow Jews. And the word he probably uh, used that is translated into yet another language for us, English, uh, as, as truth in this verse, uh, was probably emet. Um, and, and that's, the, that's uh, a, a word that, that John will later uh, translate as aletheia in, in, in Greek, and it's the same, that same Greek word that that Greek translators would use to translate uh, this same word, emeth, in the Old Testament uh, when they were making their Greek translation of that. And while we don't normally do these deep dives into, uh, into biblical languages during sermons, we often do these deep dives when we're preparing these sermons. And I'd, I'd like to share a little bit of what I found in those deep waters this week. In fact, if some of you have been uh, following along with our Bible uh, reading plan uh, and the videos that go with that, you may have heard on Thursday um, a, a great video that, that really hits this, this word, emeth. Uh, it's in our morning call to worship uh, in, in, uh, in chapter 34 of Exodus. Uh, God describes himself in, in 34.6 with several words, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and emeth. And you're, if you have the King James Version, it probably says in truth, if you have the ESV, it says faithfulness. Um, both of these are, are very good translations of the word uh, when it's a difficult word to describe or to translate either in Greek or, or in English. But it includes truth, factuality, validity, faithfulness, firmness, reliability. It's the word from which we get amen right? or amin. And here's the last language lesson, I promise, uh, here. It's also the root of the word uh, in Hebrew for believe. When in Genesis, we read that Abraham trusted in God's meth, in his faithfulness, in, in his truth, in, in, in his promises. It says that he believed, hey, Ameth, that he believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham heard God's promise, right? a promise that came out of this emeth, this, this truth, this faithfulness, firmness, reliability. And so Abraham believed and it was counted to him 
as righteousness. Jesus is calling his disciples and Jesus is calling us to that same sort of righteousness, to believe in him in the words he has spoken and the works he has done, to believe in his faithfulness and his reliability because Jesus and Jesus alone is the truth. Believe not in what he can do for you. Believe in who he is. Because if we follow Jesus, the way to the Father, and if we believe Jesus, the truth by which we can know the Father, then we can, know, we can live for Jesus, who is the life that glorifies the Father. See, Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Life is a central theme of the Gospel of John. The, the word life and to live appears like 40 plus times in, in this gospel. And it starts with one of the very first verses where it says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. And later Jesus would record, or John would record Jesus explaining that his life came for a purpose. The, the purposes of his ministry was so that we might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. And, and the theme continues all the way to the end of the gospel. In the second to last chapter, when John will We'll, we'll say the purpose of writing this gospel in the first place is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And what is this life? We'll hear it from Jesus' own uh, mouth in a few weeks of the, this high priestly prayer that starts in chapter 17. It says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And yet life is not just a gift to be received. Like the other gifts of God, life is a gift to be used. Life is for living. Jesus tells his disciples that life is for living powerfully, that whoever comes through Jesus the way, who believes in Jesus the truth, in will live for Jesus the life. And in this life, Jesus punctuates this by saying, truly, truly, amen, amen. Those believers will do even greater things than he has done over these past three years. That should stop you up. That, that should make you say, I, I don't get it. I, I'm sure his disciples must have been shocked by that. Greater things than Jesus has done. He's restored the sight of the blind. He's healed the legs of lepers. He's cleansed the diseases of, of, of the lepers, unstopped uh, the ears of the deaf, raised the dead from the grave. He's preached the riches of the kingdom of God to the poor of this world. What greater things could be done? But for all the great things that Jesus has done over these past years, there are some things that he's holding back for the next three days. See, in the, in the past three years, he's endured Satan or temptation by, temptation by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness, all to bring glory to God the Father. He's endured ridicule and rejection, again, to bring glory to God the Father. He's endured hard hearts and slander to bring glory to God the Father. He's endured a, abandonment by many of his disciples to bring glory to God the Father. But he's not done yet. He's held some things in reserve. In the next three days, 
Jesus will endure so much more. More betrayal, false accusations, sham trials, unjust just, uh, judgment, torture and beating, and a slow, tortuous death on the cross. And he will endure all of this without sin. He will end his ministry in this life with the words, it is finished. And by doing so, he will conquer sin forever by offering up the only possible perfect sacrifice for our sins. And yet more is to come. Because on the third day, after he gives up his spirit, gives up his life in this final sacrifice, he takes it up again. And he will take it up again and rise from the grave and conquer death forever. And yet still more is to come. Because after he has conquered sin and death forever, he will then ascend to his place with God the Father. And then on Pentecost, the way, the truth, and the life will fill, fulfill one of these last promises. He will unleash a power that Satan never could have imagined. He'll do that by sending his own Holy Spirit, the one he called the Spirit of Knowledge, to show the way to the Father, the Spirit of Truth, to teach us what to believe in the spirit of life, to bring us out of the darkness of death into the light of the Father's eternal life in Christ Jesus. And when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit from the Father into our lives, all heaven will break loose. The things far greater than healings of bodies and the changing of lives and even the resuscitation of the dead to life much greater things are going to happen because of Christ's completed work on the cross and the Holy Spirit's ongoing ministry. Souls will be saved and the Father will be glorified as the full extent of the Son's ministry is realized. Think about this. In three years of preaching and teaching and healing and signs and wonders, there's only a handful of people who still believe in him. And their belief is tenuous at best. But then comes the cross, and then the grave, and then the empty tomb, and then Jesus' reappearance, and, and then his ascension, and then the Holy Spirit. And then on the day of Pentecost, these disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, will preach so powerfully in Jerusalem that about 3,000 souls will be added to the book of life in one day. And the Spirit won't be done left. Done yet, because the gospel will be preached in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and then beyond, and God will be glorified. The disciples will continue on to the Decapolis, Syria and Tyre, to Antioch, Tarsus, Arabia, Galatia, Cilicia, Cappadocia, Cyprus, Lycia, Ephesus, Greece, Macedonia, Rome, Egypt, Nubia, Ethiopia. God will be glorified there. And within a few generations, the gospel will have spread further into Asia, further into Europe, further into Africa, and God will be glorified. And it'll continue to spread across the world, and it'll even get to a place called Loudoun. People will come to the Father through Jesus, the only way. They'll become righteous through belief in Jesus, the only truth. And they will find abundance in Jesus, the only life, all for the glory of God.
And so will you follow the way? We believe in the truth. Will you live for the life, all for the glory of God? Because make no mistake, there are only two answers to that question. It's yes or no. The no may be nuanced. Sometimes the no sounds like, I'm not interested. I'm not sure. I don't have time. I'm not convinced. I'm not, I'm not positive it's worth the cost. Maybe you're thinking you can do it on your own, that you're not so bad, or that you're good enough to fix the wrongs you've done, that you can work it out. Those are all just different ways of saying no. You're saying no to Jesus Christ who says, come, follow me, believe in me, live for me. There are ways that are saying that you don't accept the truth of Scripture that says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That you don't believe uh, that, that, that it's true when it says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are different ways of expressing our arrogance that our salvation can be earned by good deeds and clean living when Scripture clearly says that it's by grace, not by works, that we are saved. Friends, you cannot measure up to the standard of perfection. And you cannot work off a death sentence. But here's the good news. While we were yet sinners, this Jesus, this Son of God, who did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, and being found in the likeness of man, humbled himself by being obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and, and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's almost like God had a central theme to all of this. To put it more simply, God shows our, his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The same Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, Lord of heaven and earth, calls you to come, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him. And at the same time, he says, come, lay down your burdens, the ones that you put on yourself, the ones that others have put on you. Lay them aside at his feet, and he will give you rest. He calls you for, to stop striving for the things that perish. Stop climbing this ladder to, that has only ruin at the top. Find rest for your souls in the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. That's how you say yes. You say yes by following Jesus, the only way to the Father. By looking to him in prayer, in, in, in his word, and in the wise counsel and fellowship of, of other believers, who, as he shows you how to follow him. He, he, he does this by, by putting other more mature Christians around you that you can imitate as they imitate Christ. He shows you by, by allowing you to participate in the life of the church, by worshiping you together as we are today, singing songs, praying prayers, right? Uh, learning in Sunday school, he, uh, small groups, other venues, all for the glory of God. You say yes by believing in Jesus, the only truth, so that you will know the Father by confessing and putting aside your faith 
in the things of this world, and in, in its false promises, its treasures that moth and rust destroy, thieves steal, and in its father, the father of lies. And then by putting your faith in Jesus, God incarnate, his eternally faithful promises, laying up treasure for yourself in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. You do it by looking to Jesus, who is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, who upholds the universe by the word of his power and by his life and resurrection has made purification for our sins. So that by believing in him, we might find forgiveness for those sins, salvation for our souls, all for the glory of God. You say yes by living for Jesus, who is the only life that finds its abundance in the eternal riches of God's glory. A life that calls us to do greater things than Jesus himself did on earth. Not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us that we might proclaim with our words and our actions the gospel that sets captives free. That we might make disciples who imitate us as we imitate Christ. By being equipped to participate and then equipping others to participate in a local church for the ministry of the gospel and by sending and supporting missionaries who bring this life-giving gospel to the rooms of our houses, to the streets of our neighborhoods, to, to our communities in which we live, to the beaches of Hampton, the, the subways of Boston, and beyond, to the ends of the earth. It's yes or no. It's throughout God's scripture. Yes or no. Death or life. Good or evil. For the glory of God or for the pursuits of this world, after whom will you follow? In whom will you believe? For whom will you live? And for whose glory? Please say yes to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And, and if you haven't yet, don't put it off another day. Talk to the person who brought you here. Talk to one of us. Talk to someone who's trying to follow, who's trying to believe, who's trying to live this life. Amen. Please join us with one final song.